Good morning. This month we're going to be looking at four great prayers from the Bible. Now there are a lot of great prayers in the Bible. One of the interesting things to do is to look up great prayers from the Bible, read them, and hear the prayers, and then hear the response of God to the prayers. And great way for our own spiritual enrichment and for our own development, personal spiritual development, great thing to do. But what we're going to do is we're going to focus on four prayers that I am drawn to at this moment and that I think will say a lot to us as a church. What will make this experience meaningful and powerful to you is if we don't just hear the prayers that we're talking about each week, but if each week you will actually go and pray the prayers. So between Sunday to Sunday, and if you're not here, you can listen online, between Sunday to Sunday, I'm going to encourage you to take the prayer for the week and to create some space and to pray the prayer. The prayer today is uh, a prayer prayed by Samuel, who was about 13 years old, 12 years old, middle school age, and he's in the temple of the Lord, the tent of meeting, and he prays this prayer when God calls to him. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Now think about that for a minute. If when you walked in here on Sunday mornings and you began worship, if you began your worship experience by praying that prayer, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Think what a difference that would make for you. Oftentimes we walk into the sanctuary and immediately we have our list of things that we want to bring to God. God, this, I need you to do this. God, I want you to hear this. I'm worried about this. I'm concerned about this. But when we walk into the room, God already knows what we need. We're here, and we need to come here to hear from God. So instead of walking into the room and, and bringing our needs first to God, what if we walked into the room first and said, God, I'm here. I'm your servant. Will you talk to me? I'm just going to stop talking and listen. What do you want to say to me through the scripture? What do you want to say to me through the song? What do you want to say to me through the prayers at the table? Because you know what? God is still speaking. God is still speaking. Now this story today is an interesting story because it involves a, a young man named Samuel. And Samuel is one of the three most important figures in the early part of the Old Testament that plays a pivotal role. There are three characters in the Old Testament that really stand out. Abraham in the book of Genesis, who is the one that was called to be the father of the father of a new nation, to be the people of Israel, to take them to the promised land. The second is Moses. And Moses was the one who was the liberator, who liberated God's people from the Egyptians and marched them from Egypt and they wandered through wilderness. Uh, after their slavery to the promised land. And the third one, less known, but just as important, Samuel. Samuel plays a very important role in the life of Israel because he marks a transition as Israel's first true prophet who led them from being a loose confederation of tribes ruled by judges to being a nation that would have a king and would have a monarchy. And Samuel, Samuel would anoint 
the first two kings, Saul and David. And it all begins with this story here. This whole huge change in Israel's story begins with a word that he hears from God when he's 12 or 13 years old. And it changes everything for the people of God. He calls them back to God and anoints their king. Let me show you before we read the text a little bit more history here so you'll know the context in which this this takes place. Here's the books of the Old Testament. The first uh, five books of the Bible are called the laws, the Torah. You know Genesis, the story, the creation story, the story where Abraham's story is told. Exodus tells the story of Moses, how Moses then led the people through the wilderness and they got the Ten Commandments. Now if you look at the historical writings which tell the history of Israel and when they got their kings, begins with Joshua. Joshua is the story of what happens when God's people go to Israel and begin to take the land and begin to go to war with the people of the land and take the cities and begin to occupy it. Now, after Joshua becomes a very dark period for the people of God described in the book of Judges. You see... In Joshua, God says to the people, as he says in Exodus, I will be your God and you will be my people. If you will worship me, I will be faithful to you and you be faithful to me and you will live long in the land and God will bless you and you will overcome your enemies. But in the book of Judges, around 1400 to 1000 B.C., everything goes very poorly. God's people turn away from God and begin to worship the foreign gods of the land And then armies would rise up and defeat the Israelites and they would cry out to God and then God would raise up a judge, a leader, who would then call on them to repent and return to the Lord. They would return to the Lord and then the Lord would lead them against their enemies and they would win again and take back the land. But the problem was it kept happening over and over and over again. It was a repeated cycle of Faithfulness and failure, faithfulness and failure. And by the time we get to the end of the book of Judges, things are really dark. The last verse in the book of Judges, which sets up Samuel, is this line. The people of God had no king, for they did what was right in their own eyes. Meaning that they did not respect the Lord, they did not follow the Lord, they just did whatever they thought was right, whatever they wanted to do, and they were obedient to no one but to themselves and to their own hearts, desires, and vision. And they were fighting against one another. And so by the time the book of Samuel opens, uh, it says in the passage we're about to read, it says, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And the vision, the vision of God was rare in those days. Now let me show you where this takes place. This whole event takes place in Shiloh, the story we're about to read. Shiloh is in the northern part of Israel. It's above the Dead Sea. You can see it there up to the top right hand of the screen. Jerusalem is down in the bottom. When, they, when Joshua and the people of God settled, the 12 tribes were all assigned different parts of the land. And Shiloh became the religious worship center of Israel. It's where the priesthood was located. It was there that they would worship in the tent of meeting, which you see here in this rendering, this drawing. The tent of meeting had been uh, described in the book of Exodus where God told Moses to build this tent 
where they would carry it with them, wherever they would go, so that they could worship God and go to meet with God. And Moses would go into this tent and meet with God, and sacrifices would be made. Now, inside the tent of meeting, behind that purple curtain, was this object. If you've seen Indiana Jones, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know what it is. You don't know what it is. You're too young. You don't know the movie. Um, but the Ark of the Covenant was a golden box that was made by Moses and the people of God to hold the Ten Commandments. And wherever they went, this box went with them, for it represented the presence of God. It was in the Holy of Holies. It was there that God would sit upon his throne and deal with God's people. So when we get to the story, what's happening is Eli is the head priest over all of Israel. He's been leading for a long time, and he has two sons, and they are not good boys. Hophni and Phinehas. And they are running the tent of meeting. But they are using God's power and their position to take advantage of everyone, to enrich themselves. They steal from the offerings and the sacrifices that are made to fatten themselves and to enrich themselves. And they also take advantage, imagine this, religious leaders taking advantage of women because, and using their power to do that. Or people in positions of power. It was happening. A horrible thing. Eli was warned and, and was warned again and again by God and the people, your sons are wicked men, but you continue, you do not restrain them. You do not discipline your sons. So it's in this situation where the priesthood was absolutely corrupted, things were dark, the word of God was rare, that Samuel is found. And where is Samuel in the story? He's in Shiloh. He's in the tent of meeting. He's sleeping near the Ark of the Covenant. Here's the story. It says in verse 1, chapter 3, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the Ark of God. You get the picture? Now, the, the lamp of God is this lamp that was described in the book of Exodus that was supposed to be in the tent of meeting near the Ark of the Covenant that was to be lit and stay lit from dusk to dawn. And, and Samuel, who was a little boy or a teenager, was there in the temple sleeping near the Ark to make sure the light over the Ark did not go out. And this is a powerful spiritual meaning. It's basically saying that God is still at work even though things are dark. That God's light is still burning. And how do we know? Why is it still burning? Because God has chosen a young man to tend the light. Tend the light. Catch that? A young man to tend the light in a dark time. So here's what happens. Suddenly the Lord called out Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called again Samuel. Again Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son. Eli said, go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? 
Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boys. So he said to Samuel, go lie down again. And if someone calls you again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord called and came as before and said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And then he says, the Lord says to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that is going to shock the world and cause the ears of my people to tingle. Now let me talk to you about what I think this means for us, this prayer. The first observation I would make about this story is the entire fate of the entire nation of Israel changed because of the prayer of a mother or a woman who wanted to be a mother. If you back up in the story, that, that's the story of what happens. Hannah is married to a man by the name of Elkanah, and, they ha- and he has two wives. And one wife is able to have multiple children, but Hannah is not able to have any children. And because she does not have any children, uh, she is bereft. She is depressed. She wants to give her husband children. And she wants to have children more than anything else in the world. And she cries out to God. And she tells Elkanah, she says, I want to give you a son. I'm so sad. I'm so depressed. And Elkanah says, isn't that I love you enough? And she says, no, it's not enough. She cries out to the Lord. And annually, they go to the temple. They make a sacrifice to God at the temple. They pray there. And there, Hannah, in the book, of Samuel is crying out to God in desperation. This woman who is barren, who is unknown, who is relatively insignificant, who has no power, position, or prestige at all, cries out to God, God, if you will give me a child, if you will give me a son, I will give him to you, I will dedicate him to you, and I will never let a razor touch his head. He will be your prophet. She's praying this prayer near the tent of meeting, and Eli sees her with her lips moving, but no words coming from her mouth, so he assumes she's drunk. He talks with her. Why do you come here drunk so early in the morning? She said, I'm praying. And she tells her, I'm praying that God will give me a son. And Eli, the old priest, says, God will fulfill your request. God is going to answer your prayer. She goes home with Elkanah, and they conceive. And God answers her prayers, and she conceives a son And she names him Samuel. When he is weaned by his his third birthday, she takes him to Shiloh and places him in the care of this elderly priest. Now imagine the irony of the story of how God is making things so difficult that she has just placed her son in the hands of a man who was really terrible raising his own boys. God's going to have to do some work to make this thing turn out right. Eli didn't do such a good job. How's he going to do a good job with Samuel in his care? But it says in the scripture that as Samuel grew, that he grew in favor with God and in favor with human beings. Now why? Because of the prayer of his mother. His mother kept praying for his spiritual welfare. Her mother put him in a place where he could hear from God. Every year she would come and she would make little priest outfits for him to make sure that he was dressed in the service of the Lord. My whole point in saying is this, is that you can't do enough 
to get your children in the presence of the Lord. That, that the greatest gift we can give children and youth or teenagers, whether we have children or not, is to make sure that we are putting them in the presence of God, put them in a place where they can hear from God, praying for children, praying for youth, because it is through our children and our youth that God brings a fresh word to the world. And when you give a child or a youth a spiritual foundation, we are giving them the foundation that they can use for the rest of their lives. And as adults today, we have to make a real commitment to that because so many things occupy the minds and the hearts of our youth and children in this world today. So many options. We have to make a commitment. I remember once asking my father, Dad, are we going to church tomorrow? We already made that decision, he said. Now, what does that mean? I said, are we going to church tomorrow? He said, dad, my dad said, we've already made that decision. We made it like five or six years ago. We go every Sunday, so don't ask me again. That's what we do. And that's what we did. As tired as my dad was, my dad worked this, this very difficult job every Sunday. I, he slept. I never heard of it. He slept all the way through church most of the time. But he, he had us there, and they did everything they could to get us in a position to where we can hear from God. It's not just church. But I remember my dad and mom took me one day, and they put me on a church van with my minister and three other boys and shipped us off to church camp in Athens, Texas with my minister. And I spent the entire week living in a cabin with my pastor, who I found out was a really normal person like everybody else. He actually wore shorts and told funny jokes. And it was there, in the presence of God, that I heard a call, and that my pastor, who was my Eli, helped me hear the word of the Lord. And in that moment, I said, here I am, send me. Don't take too lightly that we just sent our teenager to Camden, New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey is one of the, known as one of the most violent cities in America. The average uh, income of a family in Canton, New Jersey is $22,000 a year. 60% of uh, the people who lived in Canton, New Jersey are under the ages of like 16 and below. They're, they're children and youth. And Bruce Maine 30 years ago believed that the way to save Camden, New Jersey and the, from the violence and from the murder and the crime was to focus on youth and children and to bring the vision to the city. So he started Urban Promise, focusing on their spiritual and academic and physical development. And so what happens, what our youth did was they just spent an entire week there with Urban Promise, working with them in the mornings, going to camps all over the city, five different places, working with other teenagers there who live in Camden to nurture and encourage and help draw out the love of God in them and share it with them in Camden. Now, I haven't heard all their stories yet, but I heard one story. Uh, one of our teenagers has said, you know, what I learned is that I've been so blessed. I have so much stuff, right, compared to what other people have. I don't realize it until I'm around people that don't have as much as I have. And I've been called to humble myself and to share my blessings with others, to be a blessing to others so that they can bless others. And the deep feeling of gratitude that you had from the people that were there, weren't, weren't they just really grateful for all? And didn't you feel like you got more from them than you gave from them? 
And so we had adults go along with them. What do the adults do? They're helping them hear the call of God. Let, let me say this to you. People, I'm standing over because I want them to hear this. The youth, the youth are not the future of the church because God has a bigger vision for the world than the church. The youth are the future of the world. Did you catch that? For God didn't, he didn't say, for God so loved the church. He said, for God so loved the world. And so you are the future of the world. Us Eli's, sometimes by the time we get to be 50, we're compromised. We have a lot to lose. And so we don't say the truth because we like our comfort. But we need rabble-risers and truth-tellers and people will shake us up and demand more of us than we are willing to give ourselves. Prophesy to us. Speak to us. Don't conform to our vision for the world. Get a fresh vision for you, for God, for what God wants you to do in the world. I read an article that said that, that, uh, that your decline, sorry 50-year-olds, your professional decline and skills declines begins at the age of 50. All the innovators and entrepreneurs of the world are below the age of 50. So what do you do if you're above the age of 50? Just sort of sit home and watch ESPN, I guess. He said, you've moved from being an innovator to being a teacher. And then what we do is we, we then become an Eli to a younger generation to help them hear the call of God. And there's just as much to be fulfilled in helping young people hear the call of God as it is to hearing the call ourselves. This story is so powerful because to me, to me, because I love the humility of the story. Notice, this is the other thing I would learn from the story, is notice that the whole problem God has with pride. The pride sometimes that older people think that they got it all figured out and we need to get the youth to fit into our vision. Or the pride of thinking that this is all about me, that the gospel is all about my own fulfillment of the American dream for myself getting richer, more comfortable, more happy so I can retire and do whatever I want and live my own selfish version of the American dream. But God calls us to something greater and God opposes the proud and calls the humble is what the Bible says. And what I love in this story is, is it says, he says, speak Lord, your servant is listening. But we turn God into our servant God, make this happen for me. God, take care of me. We turn God into sort of a cosmological vending machine that if we put in the right prayer, we get what we want. But God is not here to serve our American version of the dream. God is here to serve his dream and to call us to something greater than our own personal fulfillment and comfort. And the reason, the reason that we don't hear God's voice is because we don't know who God is. We don't know God's character. We have to commit ourselves to hearing and reading the Word of God, to be passionate about the Word, so we will know who God is when He speaks. If we're going to be Eli's, if we're going to be Eli's, then we're going to have to know God's character so that we can share the character of God with our young people so they can hear it. You know what happens in the story? Well, Eli goes, well... What did God say? Your family stinks and you're all going to die. Oh, that's what it's my version, right? So there's this big battle that takes place. All the Philistines kill all the Israelites, 
And they go, oh my goodness, what has happened? Why has God abandoned us? And Hophni and Phinehas get this great idea. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant and let's carry it to battle with us. Let God be our lucky charm. Well, 40,000 more Israelites are killed and Hophni and Phinehas are killed and the Ark of the Covenant is captured. A lone soldier goes running back to Eli. He's all beaten and bruised. His clothes are torn. And Eli says, tell me about the Ark of the Covenant. It's been lost. How about my sons? They're dead. Hearing this news, Phineas' wife goes into premature labor and dies during childbirth, but not before she gives birth to her son, whose name is Ichabod. Don't name your kid Ichabod. It means, it means the glory has left us. The glory of Israel is gone. Every new birth is the birth of a new world. And every child born in this world is called to put a hand to tending God's lamp and light in the darkness. But that birth is not just reserved, not just reserved for children and youth and for people who come fresh out of the womb, but also for those who are born again. And Samuel says later in the book to the people of God, he said, turn from your false gods and turn to me and give me your heart. Become a people who say, I am your servant. Speak to me, God. We will answer. We will listen. The world begins with every new birth. And maybe it's time for you to be born anew. So Ichabod means um, the glory has left. Do you know what? Do you know what Samuel means? You remember, remember Hannah prayed, God bring someone to deliver me, deliver us. Hannah prayed, and she named her son Samuel. Do you know what his name means? God heard. Hey, that's better than the Game of Thrones. I'm telling you. Wow. Let's, let's pray that prayer. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening.